Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, November 10th, 2015. This is starting to feel like a normal thing again for me. <laughs> it's a thing, you know, you take a few days off and you do something else and it's like, do I still remember how to do this? It's like riding a bike though, riding a bike. Thank you for tuning in or listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God to test, like a good Berean, think Acts 17 style here, to see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolettes, well, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says when we look at it in context. Are they teaching sound, biblical, orthodox, Christian doctrine? Or are they twisting God's Word and manipulating it to make it say something that it doesn't say? In, in other words... You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples. You're not really doing the discipling thing if you're not actually teaching God's word correctly. Yeah, Jesus never intended for his word to be twisted and manipulated. And he said, that, well, how do you know? How do you know? Well, really simple. Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same God. Are you familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity? And since all scripture is say anustas, God's word makes it very clear that uh, that uh, his pastors, pastors who claim to be working for Jesus, you know, that they have to rightly handle God's word, teach sound or healthy doctrine, and to rebuke those who contradict it. And so when we have somebody on the scene who is a popular pastor, and the reason why they're popular is because they're preaching stuff ain't nobody ever heard before, uh, because whenever they open up a biblical text, they scratch itching ears rather than rightly teach God's word, well, we know from God the Holy Spirit that that's not what Jesus wants to be done and that the person doing that is not fulfilling the Great Commission, which is go and make disciples of all nations. And disciples are learners, which means what are they learning? They're learning what Christ has revealed in his word, and they're to understand what it is he intended for them to know not this other nonsense that uh, we're getting from the uh, evangelical industrial complex and their current stable of Bible twisters, narsajits, and um, ear scratchers, if you know what I mean. 
All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I actually have kind of a wild card. It depends on how long it takes us to get through some things here. So we're going to start off with a <laughs> a a, a Shemitah update. Yeah, that's right. It's it's the end of the world as we know it. And uh, the folks over at Jim Baker Show, yeah, they are in full damage control mode. No joke. I mean, I, that may that maybe sales of their um, <clears throat> awful to eat uh, uh, prepper supplies, apocalyptic prepper supplies. And maybe sales have plummeted since the Shemitah didn't pan out. And so uh, Jim Baker has invited John Shorey onto his uh, program. And uh, they're discussing, well, what is God doing now since the Shemitah has ended? What has God, what is he up to? What's, and, you know, how can we prop up sales of our, of, <laughs> our buckets of really awful to eat food? Anyway, so we're, we're going to start off with that. The Shemitah has ended. What's God doing now is the name of the segment uh, from the Jim Baker program. Then we're going to switch gears and we're going to do a Stephen Furtick update. And normally when I do something to review something that Stephen Furtick has said or done, generally I will go into the archives of their, their podcast for their sermons and will play something, you know, and in context. Um, but I do not want you all to think that I have somehow doctored what it is that you're about to hear uh, in the Stephen Furtick update. I, I don't even know what to call this. It's a, a a video that has been posted on Stephen Furtick's Facebook page. And so this is an official video. And if you would, it, 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 it's something he wanted put out as, well, a, um, a summary. Uh, a summary of a sermon. And literally, I've I've watched it three times now, and I have no clue. No clue whatsoever what this man is talking about. I mean, it's it's one of those things where somebody posted on my Facebook wall and said, is you know, something to the effect of this sounds like the blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. So I, I watched it and he's like, yeah, this is one of those blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. This, in fact, we might have to call this segment blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. But, uh, you know, I, it's as if Furtick, the longer he's doing this, the less lucid he's becoming. I mean, it's like it, it, he's kind of run out of steam. You know, what What other biblical text is there left for him to narsajit? And so he just makes up these weird claims, and you sit there and go, what is this man saying? And then, okay, and this is where we have to talk about wild card. It depends on how long it takes us to get through this. Um, with the wild card today that that may or may not appear on today's episode is um, is a, uh, a, a Faith Church St. Louis, a David Crank uh, update. God wants you uh, wants you blessed financially, and one of the most bizarre teachings I've ever heard on um, the miraculous catch of fish from the Gospel of Luke. I think chapter four, but uh, we'll let David Crank uh, explain that to us, and I think. We'll be able to get to it today, and if we don't, you know, I'll save it for another episode of Fighting for the Faith because I definitely want to play this one. And then, you know, kind of in the you know the genre of maybe there's something in the seeker-driven water, uh, you know, because uh, Stephen Furtick isn't making any sense anymore. And Ed Young's latest sermon series is entitled Simplexity, and 
I <laughs> listen to the first 10 minutes of it, and <laughs> the only thing I think is, what is this man talking about? Has the Bible become passe? I mean, are we no longer as pastors to preach God's word and we're just supposed to find something that you think is relevant based on a Google search to start preaching about? So we'll listen to the first few minutes of uh, Ed Young's Simplexity uh, sermon. And then in hour uh, two, we're going to head to uh, Oklahoma and uh, we're going to be, uh, you know, lifechurch.tv. We're going to listen to a Craig Rochelle sermon. And uh, Craig Rochelle narcissizing uh, a, a small, and I mean microscopic, portion of the minor prophet Haggai, and uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So since we have a lot of ground that we need to cover, I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers, by the way, they do enhance your listener experience. And uh, since we're going to start off with a end-of-the-world Shemitah update, yeah, that's right, full damage control mode over there at the Jim Baker Show, that requires us to do this. right folks it's the end of the world as we know it and the folks over at the jim baker show who who've basically turned prepper supplies into a small cottage christian uh well it's not a ministry um fleecing uh, a fleecing ministry uh you know by fear-mongering for fun and profit uh they've <laughs> they've invited uh, the uh, the prophet yeah you have to put profit in quotes there air quotes uh john shorey on to discuss well, now that the Shemitah has ended, what is it that God is up to? Yeah, what is God up to? We don't know. So, um, <laughs> and the best way I can describe it, like I've already described it, this is full-blown damage control mode. Because you want to know what happened uh, in the Shemitah? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And by the way, if you would like to purchase your pi official Pirate Christian Radio I survived the four blood boons in the Shemitah, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt T-shirt. Go to piratechristian.com, look on the links above, and look for our bake sale link, and you can get yourself a T-shirt for this year. But here's Jim Baker and John Shorey, full damage control mode now, trying to, you know, what is God up to? We've got, we got buckets of, of really awful-tasting food to, you know, get rid of, and, uh, well, we... Well, sales have slumped because nothing happened on the Shemitah and there's all these naysayers, you know, like me, out there pointing out that nothing happened. Here we go. What do you see that's happened? What, what, what is God doing right now? I wrote you a letter a week or so ago 
Yes. And, and in that letter, I said, I believe that God has held off the big event that would, like, trigger multiple events. Yeah. So, so God's held off the big event. Oh, wow. That, why, why, why did he do that? Uh, for two reasons. Yeah. I says, number one, and I'll tell you, this was confirmed to me by from some of the prophets. And oh, this was confirmed. So this, this is, I mean, this is just, you can take this to the bank. This is prophetic gold, you know? You know what I mean? Words from the prophets. Yes. But uh, that two things, there were two reasons that we could seek from this delay. And, and the one big reason. Notice he's talking about now at the, at the end of the world. It, it, things have been delayed. You know, they, they, these were the same guys who were basically preparing us for Armageddon and the apocalypse to happen sometime in September and October. And they were publicly claiming that, you know, the world would never be the same after October of this year. And here we are in November, and they're in full damage control mode because um, the world pretty much has carried on the way it's carried on. <sighs> Is that a lot of God's people are not ready. Oh, so that's why God has held off because, yeah, you, you weren't ready. And, and by that, that you haven't bought your really awful tasting buckets of food from Jim Baker. And God is, in his grace, is giving us more time. Yes. You see, I actually looked at from September because, you know, the Bible says to watch for these signs. I do not want you to be caught unaware I will not do anything unless I warn you through the prophets. Well, God's prophets have been speaking. The signs have been speaking. And just because... The signs have been speaking, huh? Well, the thing is, is that the thing you said that they were saying hasn't come true. Uh, we're all still here, you know. Um, this is fascinating. Nothing happened? Are you telling me that God just canceled his return? <laughs> You know, I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. And uh, no, no one's saying that Jesus isn't coming back, at least within Christian circles. And I'm not saying that Jesus isn't coming back. He is. Absolutely, Jesus will return on the day that was appointed for him to return long ago before the foundations of the earth. And not a day sooner. Uh, what I am saying, and let's make this clear, is that these guys are fear-mongering and they're trying to move product. Yeah, you know, solar power cells and, you know, you know, fuelless generators and, you know, things that you can do to survive the, the apocalypse and Armageddon, including really awful tasting buckets of food. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You got to see the video we put over at piratechristian.com in the captain's log. Anyway, um, and so it's these guys have no idea when Jesus is coming. They're, the signs that they say are pointing to his imminent return, you know, the, the blood moons and the Shemitah, have nothing, and I mean nothing whatsoever, to do with Jesus' return. They've just capitalized on the hype regarding this in order to move product. And I had looked at September as a he's, he's not a feeble God, by the way. Right. This, this is true, Jim. It's just that you guys have been, well, fear-mongering for fun and profit. And you don't make fun of his signs and wonders. Exactly. Yeah, the blood moons and the Shemitah had nothing whatsoever to do with God's signs and wonders. Like, not at all. And, and I had looked at six months... You know, I'm mid-trib, and my timeline 
You know, my timeline didn't come and go on September 13th. My timeline is that the Great Tribulation will start in March of 2016. Ah, so the Great Tribulation starts March of 2016. Quick, buy awful tasting food from Jim Baker. <laughs> you got The reason why God delayed and didn't do anything in September or October is because you guys weren't prepared. You didn't buy enough prepper supplies. More than enough time for everything to fall together between now and March. I had looked at September to March as ever-increasing birth pains, intensifying over a six-month period. We're not even getting Braxton Hicks contractions at this point. What are you talking about ever-increasing birth pains? And, and that we would see a slow burn collapse of our economy over a four- or five-month period. That yeah, if these guys keep making these predictions, they're going to experience a slow burn where no one's going to send them any more money and they'll be bankrupt, which would be a good thing, by the way. Confirmed by Mina when the angel showed her a calendar for an economic collapse. Oh, the prophet Mina. Yeah, an angel showed her a calendar of an economic collapse. Uh huh. Tell us more. The black horse running over four calendar months, September, October, November, December. And... And like I say, God confirms through his prophets. So when nothing happens... Yeah, I'm not familiar with the prophet Mina. At least none of her writings are in the written word of God. September 13th or September 23rd? Well, you know what? Things are happening. You can't say nothing happened. Mm -hmm. But we didn't see the Newman... Yeah, I just said nothing happened. Nothing happened. Fault. Fought, you know, split the country in two. We didn't see the Northwest and California fall into the ocean. If those events would have happened, it would not be a slow burn collapse. America would have been toast. Yeah, did you catch that? I, you folks out in California, thankfully you didn't fall into the ocean. Because, you know, God's people weren't ready for that yet. They didn't buy enough prepper supplies and awful tasting food from uh, Jim Baker. Days. Praise God that nothing like that happened. But what I see happening is God is shortening the birth pains. Ah, okay. He's short. Again, we're not even to the Braxton Hicks you know, phase yet. Instead of six months, if we're lucky, maybe it'll only be three or four months. But I ended up getting a word from the Lord that was sent to me, and I'll read part of that in a moment. But in that word, it says, the Lord says, my timetable has not changed. Uh-huh. God's timetable hasn't changed. So you'll notice here, claiming direct revelation from God, they're totally spinning at this point, total damage control mode because, well, nothing happened on the Shemitah. Nothing, nothing. A little 29 came and went. In fact, the whole year came and went. The whole Shemitah year came and went. And they At first, we're talking about, whoa, the, the super Shemitah. Yeah, you know. That super Shemitah is upon us. And then, yeah, uh, we proved that the uh, super Shemitah, with, you know, with the claim that this year is the year of Jubilee. Nobody knows when the year of Jubilee is, so we blew that up. And uh, then you had the uh, editor of Charisma Magazine, the guy who founded the magazine, coming on Strang was his last. And, oh, something did happen. And then we debunked that and showed, yeah, yeah and really, uh, the, the world economies did not experience what these guys were saying. And um, so we blew that up. And now they're saying, well, the Shemitah has ended. And, well, you got to understand that, that uh, God's timetable is still in play. You know, 
but uh, the reason why is because it's supposed to be a slow burn now. Slow, slow, yeah. Now, if, if, if you know, California had fallen into the ocean and, and the United States had been split in two by a mega earthquake, you know, that wouldn't have been a slow burn. And since the prophet Mina, you know, got it, had an angel show her uh, calendar, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Yeah. You know what's going to happen when March 2016 comes and goes? Still, there will be still no sign of the Great Tribulation by March of 2016. But as they continue to ramp up and fearmonger in uh, preparation for March of 2016, I'm sure they're going to move a lot more of that really awful tasting, very expensive, uh, you know, prepper food that uh, Jim Baker is selling. God is allowing other people to come on board to get ready. And I'll tell you, I would much rather see three or four months of intensifying birth pains than to see six months. Because let me tell you, if we were to get hit like a hammer in September, I wouldn't be sitting here. Which is what they said was going to happen. Explaining to you and telling you, you need to finish getting ready because it would probably have been too late to get ready. He talks about coming unaware, that people aren't going to be aware. They're not looking. And that's, that's, I, you, you mentioned something to me the other day that you felt like God was literally at this time allowing people to show themselves. Exactly. uh, That's the number two. You know what I mean? I see that this. Slight delay. We don't know if it's days or a few weeks. Yeah, like never. Um, because you guys were predicting the apocalypse, literally the beginning of the tribulation and Christ's imminent return without any warrant whatsoever based upon the four blood moons and Shemitah nonsense. Um, yeah. Um, oh, man, these guys are just ridiculous. Uh, maybe a couple of months. We don't know how long it is. But it, it's a delay, though. It, it's just a delay. Don't worry. The apocalypse is coming. It, it's just a delay. It'll be here by March. Delay is allowing us more time to get ready, and it's also identifying the scoffers. Ah, uh, like me. You know, and by the way, you know, the reason I'm scoffing at these guys is not because I don't believe the scriptures. The reason I'm scoffing at these guys is because I do believe what Scripture says, and I know that these guys are twisting it, and they're doing so in order to teach for shameful gain the things that they ought not to be teaching. That's the problem. It's identifying what what are the people that are, you know, there's a lot of people that have been following this ministry, and I'll tell you, it kind of reminds me of the story in the New Testament when Jesus did the miracle of the 5,000, fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes, and his crowd just kept, continued to grow, and Jesus finally called them on the carpet, and he says, you guys, you're only following me for a meal ticket. You're not getting serious with God. You're just interested in filling your belly. Well, Jesus said, when Jesus said this, they bowed their heads, and most of them walked away, and he turned to his disciples, and he said, will you leave me also? And his disciple says, you're the only one with the words of eternal life. Well, I'll tell you, that's what it's all about. Are we following the God that will give us eternal life and save our soul? Or Yeah, I am. And that's why you, I'm exposing you guys for the charlatans that you are. Uh, by the way, uh, the Shemitah not resulting in the end of the world, as you guys predicted, has nothing to do with uh, John chapter 6. Following God because we want to have a full belly. And when... And when things okay. didn't happen, when, when we thought they should happen, 
And you and, and when things didn't happen when you guys said it would happen, that's the difference. Hear all of these complainers. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the scoffers. God's helping us to see what our what our group and what the people around us. You know what what are, what are they really looking for? Yeah. A lot of people, Jim, have been buying your food because they don't want to go hungry, but their relationship with God is not where it should be. That's right. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you you people out there buying prepper supplies from Jim Baker, get right with God because the only reason why you're buying it is because you you want to fill your bellies. What is this guy doing? <laughs> wow. <laughs> This is in a new level of bizarre that I've never quite witnessed before. Because we want the main thing is we want to be right with God. We want to go to heaven. We want to, no matter what happens, then you're going to be with the Lord. Well, you know, you know. I, have, I have said this numerous times. Our reason for getting through a period of tribulation is not so that we can just survive until the rapture. Our purpose is to lead others to Christ, to help meet the needs of others, to be able to build the kingdom of God. Yeah, the problem is, is that you give Jesus a bad name by predicting apocalyptic events on particular months. And when they don't show up, that basically makes Christianity look foolish. Not because Christianity is foolish. It's because you guys are doing something that scripture expressly forbids you from doing. Part of the greatest revival that this world has seen since the time that Jesus walked it's the earth. Right. All right, so that's oh man, John Shorey and uh, and Jim Baker and Jim Baker's wife in full blown damage control mode. Uh, yeah, the, the things that they said would happen uh, it, during the months that they said that they would happen didn't happen. And uh, and so they're absolutely freaking out and trying to shore up the base, if you would, you know, whip them up into a hoorah mode and, you know, and get them buying more prepper supplies. Oh, man. And by the sounds of their reactions of the live audience there, it sounds like they bought it, which is absolutely sad and tragic. Um, When is um, the great tribulation going to begin? I have no idea. I have no idea. Could start tomorrow, could start next year, could start a hundred years from now, a thousand years from I don't know when Jesus is coming back, and nobody does. In fact, Scripture makes it clear that we're not to know these things. And so when these guys start making predictions about impending apocalyptic doom based upon a bizarre theory regarding the Shemitah and the four blood moons, and it doesn't come to pass, it proves that they are false teachers, and we're not to be listening to them, let alone buying their food and their products and supporting them. If anything, what needs to happen is is that uh, their money needs to dry up and they need to go away. And the reason why they need to go away is because they've shown that given the opportunity to preach about Christ, they don't. They use Christ as a pretense to make a buck by fear-mongering and um, selling uh, prepper supplies after they've basically got everybody worked up into a frenzy that the end is near. And so what are they doing now? They're setting another date. March of 2016, folks. Right now, these are the, we're going to ramp up slow burn, you know, in, uh, in birth pangs as we get to March of 2016. Yeah, these guys are absolute 
charlatans. They're they're not behaving as Christians, and they need to repent. They need to repent, confess their sin, and be forgiven. That's what needs to happen. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. A Stephen Furtick update as well as a uh, Ed Young update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> to the Wallace Tapley Show. I'm your host, Wallace Tapley, and my official title is the only mostly accurate prophet of the end times. Uh, some of my competitors call me the second and two-tenths weasel of the apocalypse, but I do my best to ignore their comments of hate and derision. I, I do have an update this week. Uh, yes, uh, my direct revelations from God this week have told me something very, very special. It should be coming in right about now. This is a goodie. It reads, This blessing is for a certain person who's currently living in Italy and is the owner of a bistro. It says that you'll be receiving one million euros. Uh, make that 500,000. Uh, 10,000. Five. Oh, um, yes. You're receiving five euros today. Heaven be praised. Oh, it seems that I'm getting another download. I do believe that it's the result of next year's Super Bowl. Uh, this could turn out to be very profitable indeed. It says the winner of the next year's Super Bowl will be the Chicago Cubs. No, wait, that's not right. I, I mean the L.A. Lakers. No, that's not right either. I, I, I do apologize, folks. My computer suffers from Plato's tenfold error syndrome from time to time. Oh, here we go. It says... Handshake error. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. See you next time on the Wallace Tapley Show. Goodbye!
This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to believe that, well, we don't know when Jesus is coming back and all the people out there, you know, prognosticating don't know what they're doing except for trying to make a profit off of you. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can support us. That's right, supporting us by partnering with us. Mm-hmm. It's a partnership, and the way you partner with us is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, and when you join our crew now, you can choose your rank and uh, based upon monthly support. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey, and uh, when you sign up to be a Powder Monkey in our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $9.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. There are higher ranks above that, you know, Gunner's Mate, Quartermaster, and, you know, other things like that. And we're currently in a uh, in a drive to, uh, well, increase what we're able to offer. And in order to do that, we have to bring on <laughs> help, help here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. In order to afford help, well, we have to increase the amount of money that's coming in. So... We're trying to, uh, right now, get the equivalent of 600 new powder monkeys. Yeah, that would be the lowest rank in our crew. And it, it, it sounds derogatory, but it's really not. But the, the idea here is um, if fighting for the faith has, you know, has helped you in uh, understanding your, the scriptures, has helped you grow in your understanding and uh, your appreciation for the gospel, rightly understanding God's word, and has uh, opened your eyes to the false teaching that is out there, in a way that has benefited you, then please partner with us 
by joining our crew. We truly do need that in order for us to kind of take things to the next level. And you've seen what the website is, but you haven't seen yet what it what we want it to become. And in order for that to happen, we need to be able to afford to pay some people to help us with that. So 600 new powder monkeys, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on join our crew. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, uh, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly, like I said, cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Yeah, time for a Stephen Furtick update. did not edit this video. <laughs> this was put out on Stephen Furtick's Facebook, and <laughs> I have no idea what it means. It's just gibberish. It's it's about as lucid, and I mean this. It's, it's about as lucid as a, a Chuck Pierce uh, ponderous prophecy. Yeah, let me back off on the music here. And... So I'm beginning to think that uh, as Stephen Furtick gets farther and farther into his narcissistic, isogetical ways, that somehow he knows he's manipulating people, and it's as if he knows he's speaking nonsense, but for whatever reason, he can't come clean. And as a result of that, it's like it's as if he's, well, in a trap of his own making. That I know that seems like kind of a weird angle to take but i mean the longer he does this the worse he gets and the less his heart seems in it yeah i mean he it's well he's putting on a show is the best way i can put it but see if he can make 
any sense of this. The name of the video, by the way, is The Hidden Cost of a High Calling. And I did not make these edits. This is their promotional video for this so-called sermon. Here we go. Around this thought, I want to talk about the hidden cost of a high calling. Some of you are asking God for a destiny with absolutely no idea of the difficulty that will accompany that destiny. And there's a hidden uh-huh, right, yeah. cost yeah. to every calling. Now, now, one thing about an opportunity that God will give you is that with every opportunity, there will always be several off-ramps where you'll have to decide, do I really want it? Yeah, right, yeah. Where is he getting... And now, the Bible doesn't teach any of this. I, this, this is weird. Yeah, it's as if Stephen Furtick has become, like, well, a really bad motivational speaker. And, I mean, he's totally re- overhauled his uh, his look, by the way. I mean, he you know, looks like Lou Ferrigno now. Um, so, yeah, this is just weird. I mean, this, is, this guy's like a washed-out infomercial um, motivational speaker. But I don't – again, just watching him, I don't think he's buying what he's selling. It's the weirdest thing. I really want And I wonder what you're close to throwing away close to quitting on that if you could reinterpret the intensity of your urge to quit you might see it as a sign that you're close God always has something next for you but what's next is always connected to what's now what you're doing now and how you do it now is the most important thing about what God will give you next doesn't make any sense i mean what is this please if you neglect what god is doing now yeah trying to get to what god is doing next yeah even if you get to what's next yeah you won't have what you need because what you need is what god is doing now It's as if he's trying really hard to be profound, but he knows he's not pulling it off. So, you know, it, you, you, what God is doing now, you need to not look and try to anticipate what he's doing next because what you need is what he's doing now. Whoa, yeah, consider my mind blown there, dude. What are you talking about? Hey, have you ever considered, Stephen, you know, like opening up the Bible and actually preaching about Jesus rather than yourself? You might want to try it sometime because the Bible's back about Jesus. It ain't about you. You can get to next yeah. and not have the strength that you need for the next season because you were not faithful in now. Right. Yeah. You go, you'll get to next and you'll just like totally pass out because you forgot to be faithful and obedient now. <laughs> right. You just making stuff up now, Stephen? This doesn't have a parking spot. Uh-huh. It always passes by. Purpose doesn't have a parking spot. Okay. Purpose doesn't park itself at your front door and say, I'm ready when you are. Right. Um, what, what is purpose driving exactly? Um, you know, what? I need to know what car to look for. Is it like Uber? You know, you, 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 have the, you have the purpose app and, you know, 
you press the button and say that you need a ride and then you have to look for is that is so is purpose like an uber driver you know you you gotta you gotta summon it how does this work purpose comes riding by with the cloak of a calling and says here you go and moves on and wants to see will you run after it you know you see people fulfilling what so purpose throws something at you and wants to see if you're going to run after it uh-huh you really calling and you have no idea the chase that it took them to get to their call right and so often purpose isn't fulfilled in our lives because we start out running hard yeah but we don't know how to walk it out over this six-year period so it's not a marathon it's a it's a walking thing right purpose isn't a marathon it's not even a sprint. Yeah, you got to walk. Okay, right, yeah. Where is he getting any of this? And again, I didn't put this video together. This is their summary video, their music, their cuts. Yeah. And it, it really, it really, it has to start as a run, but then yeah. it develops into a walk. Okay, just so a- purpose, you got to start off running, and then it'll develop into a walk, right. Yeah, which passage in scripture says that, Stephen? I, I'm not familiar with that text. The consistency of your calling. Mm. Anything that God takes away from your life, yeah. look for what was left behind. Right, so if God takes something away, you got to find the thing that God left behind. Right, okay, what does that mean? I don't know. And that's what you need uh-huh. to go forward into what's next. You know what? Uh-huh. You, he's just making stuff up. Okay. Then you're strong. Yeah. Remember why you started. Pick it up. And God is saying to somebody today, let's pick up where you left off. I know you... It really, God's saying that. I, I wouldn't know why he would be doing that. There's some time. But what you need is lying right in front of you. And if you'll pick it up, and wind it up. I'm going to make a way even now. I'm going to make a way through the Jordan. I got this transition covered. I got this trouble accounted for. Yeah, so there you go. That was the video from Stephen Furtick's Facebook page. Uh, the hidden cost of a high calling. And yeah, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Yeah, I don't know where he got any of that stuff from. And like I said, you just watch his body language. He's not buying what he's selling. There's something going on inside of his psyche, you can tell. Anyway, moving along, I've decided that uh, we're going to have to borrow um, Perry Noble's update music for our uh, Ed Young update right now. So that requires us to do this. It really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. Yeah, that's right. It really doesn't matter what I say or what I do. As long as I do it with a flair. That's our Perry Noble update music, and we're going to borrow it for our Ed Young update. Ed Young's latest sermon is entitled Simplexity. 
and I li- <laughs> I have no idea what is going on in Seeker Driven World, but apparently they've run out of ideas. You know, because the one thing they can't do is you know work <laughs> their way through the Bible in context and actually engage in sound biblical exegesis and hermeneutics. Yeah, no, and then you know preach Christ. That yeah, you know, they can't do that and expect to continue to draw large crowds. So in order to scratch itching ears now, we've just got to come up with something that sounds relevant, cool, hip, have a nice graphic look to it, set the stage, get the smoke machine going and the laser lights going. But ultimately, they've become the masters of saying nothing. It's unbelievable. The seeker-driven guys have become the masters of saying absolutely nothing. Here is... Ed Young, from the opening from his latest sermon entitled Simplexity, where he says pretty much nothing. Here we go. I'm sure you've seen it at your local grocery store, someone trying to choose a box of cereal. Yeah, um, yeah I've seen that before. Um, okay. So many choices. Yeah, you know, choosing a a cereal could be complicated, unless, of course, you have a favorite, you know. Wheaties or Fruit Loops, Cocoa Krispies, or Alpen. That's my favorite cereal, Alpen. Does anyone here remember Alpen? Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. They still make it. I'm the only one. Try it. It'll change your life. A cereal named Alpin. It sounds like Alpo. I'll I'll pass. Thank you. We love to have choices, don't we? As human beings, we love decisions. Yeah. I know I do. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of channels to choose from. Seems like there are millions of websites, all the apps, and maybe you are thinking about, okay, I'm going to buy a car, whether it's pre-owned or new. So many choices, so many choices. We love choice. Human beings, we're people of options. But I think that it's easy to choke on choice. I think it's easy to... So, so this is the problem. All these choices out there. Okay. Hmm. To drown in the dilemma of making decisions. Yeah, my life was never ruined by a difficult serial choice. I'm... Pretty simple when it comes to that. (laughs) What is this? So on one hand, we like things with options. Yet on the other hand, it's really sexy these days to say, well, I want to simplify my life. I want to dial it down. And a lot of people say, I'm just going to retire. I'm going to check out, move to the mountains or the shore, and that's going to be it. I am going to make everything basic. I'm just going to... Yeah, you got to have a lot of money to do that. Um, just saying, because you, know, you got to pay rent and, or mortgage and stuff. I don't know a lot of people who are saying, I'm just going to, you know, go retire. I don't know anybody that wealthy, really, but okay. Check out of life. Yeah. So we have the simplistic and the complex. Yeah. The fulcrum, the... The, the tipping point in the middle is, how can I have both? Right, yeah. <laughs> I've racked my brain on that dilemma, you know, for at least, um, well, I've never. <laughs> what is this? 
That's where the word and the theory of simplexity comes into play. Google simplexity. <laughs> um, <laughs> why? <laughs> why would I Google simplexity? Um, it does. What uh, is the job of a pastor to preach the word? What is this? I, I, the seeker-driven guys have now become the masters of saying nothing, absolutely nothing. I mean, wow. On one hand, life is complex. I think we would all say, yeah. yeah. I mean, even, even choosing cereal at a grocery store, that's a complex decision. So many options. Yet also, life is simple. Yeah. It's basic. Yeah. And as you think about it, and as you boil it down, I want us to come up with a working definition of simplexity because we all... You, you want us to come up with a working definition of simplexity? This is like, you know, him trying to do a TED Talk and not pulling it off. I mean, oh, this is so profound. I'm so glad I've got a working definition of the word simplexity because, you know, every time I go to the grocery store and I go down the aisle with all the cereals, my mind it just fritzes out on me. I get all stressed out. There's all these options. Ah, I need some simplexity in my life. Why would a Christian pastor be talking like this? I all need it. I need it. You need it. Simplexity. If you're a student, you need it. What is simplexity? Yeah, I've survived 40... How many? 40, 47 years on the planet without any simplexity in my life. I'm pretty sure I can make it the rest of the way. <laughs> you know, wherever the end is, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, 5, 10, 20 years from now. No clue. Maybe even 30. You never know. Um, I'm pretty sure I can slide into the grave without any simplexity in my life because I've made it this far, you know. Might as well just continue the rest of the journey without it. Simplexity is the ability to take and make the complex simple. Yeah, and you've taken the simple and made it unfathomable. Uh, yeah, this is unbelievable. What is this? To make the complex simple. Yeah, right, yeah. For example, what do you do for a living? You might be in real estate. What do you do for a living? You could be a nurse, a doctor, a teacher, a coach. What do you do for a living? Um, I hunt heretics and I pastor a small church. What do you do for a living? Yeah. A pastor. You must explain and you must be able to articulate what you do in ways that everyone can understand. <laughs> are there a bunch of people in your congregation who are incapable of doing this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I go to Fellowship Church, and uh, somebody the other day, I was at Starbucks, and they asked me what I do for a living. Whoa! I, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to tell them. You know, I mean, granted, I, you know, I work for an accounting agency, and, and you know, I number crunch and, and put spreadsheets together and, and help people with their taxes and, you know, things like that. But, you know, when somebody asked me, uh, you know, what I do for a living, I didn't know what to say. I, I you know, and, and then, Pastor... You know, um, <laughs> Pastor Young, he he you know, he gave that mind blowing sermon on the working definition of simplexity, and oh, it just alleviated all kinds of stress in my life because <laughs> the next time somebody asked me what I did for a living, I was able to say 
I'm an accountant. <laughs> this guy is a mega church pastor. He's got tens of thousands of people showing up to <laughs> to hear this nonsense. And he's not saying anything. So you take complex truths. Yeah. Things that are difficult sometimes to break down and serve them up in ways that everyone can connect with them. <laughs> right, yeah. And I needed my pastor to preach this before I was able to do that. Uh-huh. How do we make the complex simple? Yeah, how how do we do it? Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's what the Bible and Jesus and the disciples were all about. Yeah, it's it's all throughout the apostolic record there in the New Testament. Right, uh-huh. One word. Yeah. That's all I'm going to talk about today. One word. How do we make the complex simple? That's right. You can answer it for yourself. How do you make the complex simple? Whether it be the things of God, whether it's your career, whether it's thinking about your education, whether it's your emotional makeup, whether it's it's how you feel, whether it might be a certain thing you're dealing with, how do you make, how do I make the complex simple? One word. Yes. Uh, huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea what he's doing here. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll simplify everything. Let me say it again. Yes. You're like, and? No, no. Yes. Say it with me. Yes. Now, I'm assuming (laughs) at this point, the reason he's saying that is because he's taken the passage from the Sermon on the Mount out of context. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That had nothing to do, by the way, with um, making our complex lives more simple. No. Oh, no. It had nothing to do with simplexity. Oh, this is awful. Three-letter word, yes. We say it all the time, yes. We said it already today, yes. We said it yesterday and last week and last month, yes. Basically, we're the accumulation of the yeses in our lives, yes. (laughs) I cannot believe this guy is... That people are not pelting him with rotten tomatoes. What on earth is this? I like that. Yes! Yes! Some of the announcers, when someone scores or something else happens that is really amazing. Yes! We say yes. I knew this guy back in the day. It was so funny because he, he was an intriguing personality, kind of a strange, peculiar person. Because when you would talk to him, when he would start laughing, he wouldn't laugh like normal people. Like <laughs> he would kind of go, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I don't know. I just, I. He's saying absolutely nothing, and they're all hanging on this stuff. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> there we go, folks. Yeah, he's uh, mastered the art of saying nothing. In a way that apparently is in entertaining and engaging, which, by the way, is not what a Christian pastor is supposed to do. I mean, we're supposed to preach the word. Yeah, that's what we, we pastors are given to do. Apparently, he's too busy for that, you know, Googling, you know, 
that important word simplexity. And then, yeah, wow. Okay, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to a narcissistic, isogenical uh, exercise with uh, Craig Rochelle from LifeChurch.tv. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time.
Let's do this right, Phil. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us from Life.Church. That's right. They used to be LifeChurch.TV. They've changed their name. They're now Life.Church. Craig Rochelle presiding. The name of the sermon series is entitled The Time is Now. The name of the sermon is The Hard Right. And we're going to listen to uh, Craig Rochelle basically turn the minor prophet Haggai into, well, he's writing clearly about you, giving you steps that you can achieve, you know, so you can, well, have the blueprint necessary to accomplish certain dream destiny type thingies in your life. Yeah, I wish I was making that up. So uh, open up your Bible to the prophet Haggai, or Haggai, and... uh, we will go ahead and get started. Without any further ado, here is Craig Rochelle and his sermon entitled The Hard Right. Here we go. Welcome all of you today from all of our churches, our network churches, our family online. And I'm going to start by taking a moment to give our God praise and honor that we get to be a part of celebrating over 1,500 people being baptized today at all of our Life churches, that's something we will never, ever take for granted. Imagine, I can't even count to 1,500. 1,500 people standing publicly saying, Jesus has saved me. My sins are washed away. Never, ever take that for granted that God is doing amazing things. I love our Jesus. I love our church. I love that we... Yeah, baptism isn't a public proclamation that we've made a decision for Jesus. There isn't a single biblical text that says that. To be a part of so many lives being transformed today. I'm also massively pumped that we're starting a brand new message series. Uh, It's on the Old Testament book of Haggai. It's also pronounced Haggai. Both are acceptable. Um, Haggai was a minor prophet, which my dad, who I've told you can only talk in baseball language, said poor Haggai never made it to the majors. Kind of a rough joke, but if you knew my dad, you'd laugh like I do. I never made it to the majors. Uh, If you want to turn with me there in your Bibles, go ahead and grab Haggai. Some of you are sweating right now going, "Uh uh-oh, where is Haggai? I'll tell you where it is. It's after Zephaniah and before Zechariah. (laughs) Did that help? So there's another reason to thank God for the YouVersion Bible app. H-A-G-G-A-I. Oh, there it is. Amazing. We're going to be in Haggai today. And uh, before we get into it, I wanted to start by acknowledging, I know so often uh, you can wake up in a certain stage of life and have this real unsettling and sinking feeling. You think, by this point in my life, I just expected more. I thought by the time that I reached this, whatever this is, that there'd be something different or something better. I'm kind of surprised that this is where I am. And it could happen really... You'll notice that the setup here is the setup for failure and rightly understanding what's going on in Haggai. Um, Yeah, this has nothing to do with, well, you know, here I am, I'm 47, and I thought by now we would have eliminated all the heretics and Bible twisters. 
out of the church. Um, I mean, we've been doing fighting for the faith now for over seven years. And, uh, you know, I thought for sure by now, <laughs> the, the, you know, people like you would have been thrown out and there would have been a mass rebellion and repentance on the part of the body of Christ. So, yeah, I'm a little discouraged here. That's not what the prophet Haggai is about. Any stage, you don't have to even wait until you're older. It could be that you're um, in college and you think, well, by this time in college... I thought I would knew what I wanted to do with my life. And I don't have a clue, okay? It might be that you're out of college and you got a degree and you thought, well, since I had a degree, I'd have a real job with real benefits. And instead, I'm doing something that seems to be way beneath my capacity. I thought there'd be more. It might be that you're such and such age and you just thought, well, I certainly would have been married by now and I'm not married. Or you are married and you thought, well, I would have had a good marriage and you don't really like your marriage the way you should. And then you thought, well, we'll have kids and that will kind of fill the void. And now you have kids and you're simply busy and broke. You know, you think, I, I thought there would be something more. I know uh, some people who would say, well, you know, I'm going to try religion. I'm, I'm going to try religion. And so we try to do the religious thing and then life doesn't really change. And they wake up and think, I really thought that by this point, there'd be something more, something better, or something different. This, quite honestly, was the mood during the time when Haggai was written. The people were saying, I just, I really, really thought we would be in much different shape than we are now. And so before we dive into the book of Haggai, what I want to do is I kind of want to give you the backstory before we look at the main story. So we'll look at... Yeah, why do I need to know the backstory? Because you've basically turned the backstory into Aesop's fables. Um, it doesn't matter if it even really happened. Apparently, it's just all about the moral of the story that I can somehow apply to my life. Now, before he does that, Haggai is, you know, two chapters long. Let me read to you, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, the ESV says about Haggai. And I'll, I'll even read what uh, Luther writes regarding Introduction to the prophet Haggai. When the first wave of Jewish exiles returned from Babylon to Jerusalem in 538 B.C., they began to rebuild the temple but soon gave up. Uh, inspired by the prophetic ministries of Haggai and Zechariah, they finally completed the task in 516 B.C., Haggai rebuked the people for living in paneled houses while the houses of God while the house of God remained in ruins. He warned that despite their best efforts, their wealth would never suffice because the Lord was not pleased with their neglect of his temple. He called them to repent and renew their covenant with the God of their fathers. He assured them that God would achieve his purposes for his people and for all other nations. The rebuilding of the temple symbolized God's restored presence among his people. Now, that's the introduction that the English Standard Version gives for the prophet Haggai. And let me see what Luther wrote on this. Uh, Luther writes regarding Haggai. Haggai is the first prophet given to the people after the Babylonian captivity. And by his prophecy, the temple and the worship of God were set up again. In addition, Zechariah was later given to him as a, com uh, as a companion for a period of two months so by the mouth of the two witnesses, the word of God might be more surely believed. For the people had fallen into great doubt whether the temple would ever be rebuilt. It is our opinion that Daniel is speaking of this prophet where he says in chapter 9, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of Christ, the prince, there shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks, etc. For although a decree had gone out earlier from King Cyrus, 
that the temple should be rebuilt at Jerusalem at his, the king's expense, yet it was hindered until the time of Haggai and Zechariah. When God's commandment went out through their prophesying, then the work went on went ahead. Now notice here that Luther you know, kind of keys in that uh, the, the famous prophecy of the 70 weeks given by Daniel, um, that uh, the prophet Haggai with the command to rebuild the temple, this gives us the time frame for understanding the 70 weeks, which then points us to Christ and the arrival of the Messiah. So, I mean, Haggai has a very important role in Scripture. I mean, that's, that's important stuff as it points us to Christ and salvation history and the rebuilding of the temple shows God's you know presence among the people, if you would, and now in, in the temple, by the way, typologically points us to Jesus because the blood of bulls and and rams and lambs could never really atone for our sins, but our sins are atoned by the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. So the typology is, is that someone greater than the temple has come, and that's Jesus. But at this time, it's important that the temple be rebuilt, you know, and so let me read from uh, the prophet Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Je- Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh the, of hosts, these people say the time is, has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. When the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, it is a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins, question mark. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You have you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have you, your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so uh, to put them into a bag with holes. Yeah, there's a reason for this. God's not happy about the fact that they have not rebuilt the temple yet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each one of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and the new wine, and on what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and on all their labors. So, yeah, God's not happy, not happy at all. And so he's uh, done something to kind of get their attention, and that is, Oh, you think that working hard for these other things while ignoring the rebuilding of the temple? Yeah, I'm going to make it so all of that comes to naught. So then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai and the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, 
The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. So you'll notice that this temple that was built doesn't even come close to the glory of Solomon's temple. And yet God sends word through the prophet Haggai, I am with you. Despite the fact the temple is humble and doesn't even remotely approach the glory that it had in the days of Solomon, I am with you. I am with you. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more... In a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So I'm not going to read the rest of uh, rest of uh, the book, but you kind of get the idea of what's going on there. Very important uh, it, stuff going on, great assurance and comfort given by God regarding his presence among them. But let's see what uh, Craig Rochelle is going to do with Haggai, the prophet. Is he really going to point us to Jesus and God's comfort and assurance? No, he's going to turn this into basically all law. All application. Here we go. Prequel, and then we'll look at the main movie, if you will. Uh, Let's go back to the reign of King Solomon is where we'll start, and I'll give you kind of the the real quick uh, overview. Uh, During the fourth year of King Solomon's reign, King Solomon started construction on the most magnificent temple for God. This, this temple was more glorious than you could ever imagine. People from all over the world traveled just to see this temple and, and, and offer the, their worship to God. It was, it was completely amazing. But after King Solomon died, uh, the people's hearts turned away from God. They got distracted like people often do, and they started worshiping idols. So God allowed a series of events to take place in order to pull the people's hearts back to himself. And just to make it easy to follow, I put in your notes three bullet points to kind of give you the high points. If you want to look at those, we'll just look, look at them briefly. Uh, in 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and his army crushed the southern kingdom of Judah, destroying the temple. So not only was it completely humiliating, destroy the whole city, grab all these people, but to add insult to injury, they destroyed the house where God dwelt, stripping away the spiritual identity of the Jewish people, and they're completely devastated. The next bullet point says that the Jews were taken into captivity for decades, specifically 50 years. Uh, technically 70 because they were already in captivity for a while before the destruction of the temple. But for 50 years after the temple and on, they were in captivity. Now, we often read this and it kind of just doesn't quite register in our minds. Like, yeah, they were taken into captivity. So let me try to bring up modern context to you. Uh, Imagine this. Some uh, enemy nation uh, develops massive nuclear power. And they say, 
we're going to take out five major U.S. cities and we're going to take out ten um, cities of your ally countries unless your government surrenders to us. And so the president and the uh, council leaders meet and they think, well, we can't retaliate. This will start a massive you know, global nuclear war. And so the only thing we can do is surrender. So all of the government leaders step down and suddenly we're all no longer citizens of our nation. Now we're captives to somebody else. We can't worship as we want. We can't go anywhere we want. We're, we're, we're completely in bondage for 50 years, okay? I'm not even 50 years of age. So all my children would have been born in captivity, and that's essentially all we know. So that's the state of what's going on here. If you can put yourself in their minds, this is, this is, this is our worst nightmare come true, and it just doesn't end. Then you can only imagine the relief and the good news when in 538 B.C., about 50,000 people were allowed to travel back to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, to rebuild. Finally, after five decades, we get to go back to our home. We get to rebuild a house for our God. We get to have our own place again. And you can only imagine the relief. So he's giving, I mean, this is accurate, uh, you know, backstory here, but what he does with the text he makes it, well, he narcissistically reads us into it, and apparently this all becomes all law, just application. We continue. And the excitement. So the Jewish people went back, and they started to rebuild the temple for God. They built the foundation, and they built the altar. Then the Samaritans came in and opposed their work, and suddenly they're like, oh, no, this just got hard. This just got difficult. It must not be the right time because this is not easy for us to do. Okay? That is the backstory. So for 14 years, people didn't work on the temple. For 14 years. For five decades, that's all they thought about. And when it got difficult, for 14 years, they put the project on hold. And instead of working on God's house, guess what they did? They actually started building their own houses. And they built very, very nice houses, and they forgot about God's house. So what God did is he raised up the prophet Haggai to call the people back to rebuild the temple for God. All right? Does that make sense? If that makes sense, everybody say it makes sense. Good. The rest of you, if you're confused, sorry, we're moving on. All right? So we're going to dive into verse 2 of Haggai 1. And it actually starts off to me, this is kind of funny. You might see the humor in this. Uh, I hope you do. Haggai 1 verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, these people. Everybody say these people. God says, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. These people say, the time has not yet come. Now, the reason I find this... Now, I'm going to note something here. Up to this point, you know, with the exception of... Well, the fact that he's kind of the setup was wrong when he was talking about, you know, have, you know, what's that thing that you haven't accomplished yet or whatever, you know, you know, you feel like you should be farther along in your life with that, with that exception, he's set this up perfectly to actually give us a good exegetical look at what's going on in this, in this minor prophet. But he's not notice he's, he's told more of the backstory than he's going to actually tell of the story because He's not interested in reading out what's going on in the prophet Haggai. No, he's looking for principles to apply to your life. 
You know, and so that's what he's going to do. This is all about application, which at the at the end of the day is all law. And so we're going to note the fact that he's not going to rightly deal with sin at all. I mean, if the, if the, if the problem is is that you know we're 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 neglecting something that God has called us to, which is what he's going to say. And uh, the solution is well, we got to get busy. There's no repentance. There's no forgiveness of sins. This ultimately becomes just all law. And we're, as pastors, to preach law and gospel, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The solution to our disobedience as Christians is never just get busy and obey. Never. It's confess your sin, repent, be forgiven, and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So we're going to note what he does here. But, you know, thus far, I mean, he's got he's set this up in a way that he could actually preach the text correctly, but he's not. Humorous is because almost everywhere else in the Old Testament, when God talks about his people, he calls them my people, my people, my people. And in this case, he does what my wife does to me when our kids do something wrong. I don't know if this happens at your house, but God's not saying my people, like these people. Like, you know, he doesn't have a wife, so he can't like say they're your kids did this. You know, these people did this. And that's what Amy does when I come home and our kids do something wrong. She's like, you're not going to believe what your kids did today. I'm like, if, if my memory serves me correctly, you were there with me when these kids were conceived. We enjoyed it. It was fun. You were there. It was fun. I, I can say that at church, right? Because it is fun. If it's not fun, you're not doing it right. <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. That's the loudest amen I've ever heard from this church in my life. <laughs> you just talk about that. Amen. Yeah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Preach it. Preach it. Preach it. Okay. So, so anyway, so God's like, these people, they're not my people. These people are saying, the time is not now to build my temple. The time is not now. Now, why did they think the time wasn't now? They thought the time wasn't now because they received opposition. The Samaritans were opposing them. And what's so funny is so often whenever we receive opposition, we think, must not be God's will. It just got hard. This is difficult. And we need to understand. Yeah, um, this has nothing to do with you receiving opposition because uh, he's talking really about your purpose or dream destiny. The closer we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more likely we are to face opposition. You see, receiving opposition isn't a sign that God's against you. A lot of times it's a sign that you're doing what God wants you to do. That's why I always tell people, I don't really worry when people are opposing me. I worry when no one is, Right? Because then I'm not doing much for the glory of God. So the moment you start to move forward and do something and be obedient to what God called you to do, mark it down. There's very likely spiritual opposition on the way. When you find yourself being obedient to God, and it gets difficult, and it gets challenging, and it often does, I want to encourage you with this one simple thought. Oh, it's hard. Oh, it's challenging. Oh, it's difficult. Oh, I know it's right, but oh, this is so difficult. One simple thought if you're taking notes is this. With God's help, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Over and over and over again, just tell yourself, God, with your help, enable, empower me to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. 
It would be so easy to quit focusing on God and start focusing on myself. It would be hard and right to continue building the temple. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It, it would be so easy when someone hurts your feelings to hold a grudge, to be angry at them. But it's hard and right to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. It's easy to continue to... So we got some note about forgiveness of our sins. Uh, Granted, it really wasn't the main point of what he was saying, but we continue. Spend more than you have and just buy whatever you want and to go into debt. It's hard and it's right to begin to climb out of debt, live beneath your means, and, and live in such a way you can be massively generous with other people. It, it's so easy to give up. It's so easy to not make a difference. But we, as followers of Jesus... With so easy to not make a difference? What? Help of God. We'll choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And this is what the prophet is going to help empower the people to do. He essentially tells them the time is now. Now, for many of you... I want you to think just for a moment and ask yourself, is there some unfinished assignment in your life? I want you to think and then... Some unfinished assignment? What are you talking about? Notice, he think he's under the misguided impression that we've got to find an application here. So... What, what unfinished assignment has God given you that you, you need to uh, apply yourself to? You know, because the people of Israel, they were told to rebuild the town, and they didn't rebuild. So what, what is it in your life that you need to reapply yourself to? Oh, man, what a mess. I want you to experience the rest of this message through the lens of what might be an unfinished assignment for you. So just think back. It could have been yesterday. It could have been a month ago. It could have been 14 years ago. Yeah, nothing's coming to mind. Where you believe God put something on your heart, okay? I'm supposed to reach out to this person and share my faith with them. Oh, but that would be hard and, and, and difficult, okay? So you chose the easy way out. Uh, I am supposed to really work on honoring God with my body and getting in shape. But, but it was hard, and so you didn't do it. I, I am, I'm supposed to, I felt like I was supposed to serve somewhere in church. I was supposed to start a ministry, I was, I was supposed to ask her out, okay? You know, I, I, I chickened out. I was, I was supposed to give something away to somebody. There, there, was, there was something that I felt like I was supposed to do. I was supposed to start journaling. I was supposed to start, I felt like I was supposed to start writing a book. Well, I, don't... I, I was supposed to, oh, that's it. I was supposed to start journaling. What is this? So notice, narcissistically, he's reading us into this text. And now it's all about, you know, a, you know, a life application. This is turning the Bible into Aesop's fables. It's, it's the story of the tortoise and the hare, you know. What's the, what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is there, there's some unfinished business in your life, and you better get to it. Oh, man. What it is. I felt like I was supposed to start some ministry. There, there was something on your heart. You really felt like it was a burden, most likely from God, but you didn't do it. Think about that for a moment. And if God shows you something, I want you to listen to the rest of the message through what might be that unfinished assignment. And for many of you, God may speak to you in the very same way he spoke to the people in the time of Haggai. He's going to say, the time is now. The time is now. So let's read on in verses 3 through 5. 
This is what God said. So if I read it through the lens of I've got some unfinished business to do, God's going to actually speak to me? How do you figure? Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And God asked, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, God says, while my house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And we're going to see God say this phrase again and again. God says, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought. Think about how you're living. Is it time for you to live in these paneled houses when my house is left in ruins? Now, you may say, what in the world is a paneled house? Well, according to some commentaries that I read, basically, this was, this was high-end living. This was kind of like... You know, now you got granite countertops, you got the crown molding, you, you got the four, the, you know, the best TV in, in the house, you've got all this kind of stuff. And God is not against us having nice things. He's against us putting nice things ahead of Him. Okay? He's not against us having nice things. He doesn't want nice things to have us. And at this point, the people are putting their own comfort ahead of God's house and God's priority. And he says, give, give, give careful thought to your ways. And so I would just... In the same way, you, you need to give careful thought to your ways. So wh- what is it that you're seeking in your life that is all about comfort rather than the thing that God laid on your heart to do? Yeah, that's not why the, uh, the Holy Spirit had the prophet Haggai write this prophecy. Wow. Again, this is all law. We, he, we heard like something gospelly. But it was, really wasn't a proclamation of the forgiveness of our sins. We continue. It's the question right now as you look at maybe an unfinished assignment and ask yourself, are you putting your own comfort ahead of his calling? Okay. Or are you trying to make a name more than you're trying to make a difference? A, a name more than a difference? What are you talking about? This has nothing to do with what's there in the prophet Haggai. Are you putting your house before his house? Are you consumed with yourself instead of being consumed with God and showing his love to other people? Is there something that you're putting ahead of God? Give careful thought to your ways. God wants us to choose the hard right. Well, putting anything ahead of God is idolatry, and that's a sin. A sin that, well, in order to be forgiven of that sin... Christ had to go to the cross and suffer and bleed and die for that. So you're dealing with idolatry. You know, ultimately what you're describing, if, if I'm taking this seriously, is idolatry. And that is not lightly taken care of. That takes a crucified and risen Savior and a call for us to repent and to be forgiven. The easy wrong. And I'll give you an example from my life that's kind of embarrassing to talk about, but it's, it's true. Um, for years and years, I've been married for almost 25 years to my best friend, Amy, um, who's out of town this weekend, so I have complete freedom to tell this story the way I want to. <laughs> and, uh, so she, uh, she always said, hey, let's pray together every day, let's pray together every day. And most of you probably thought, well, Pastor Craig, of course, like they probably pray for two hours a day. And my, my deal kind of was for years, like, I don't really like to pray with her. Because all day long, I'm doing like Jesus, Bible, God stuff at work for like eight hours. And I kind of just want to come home and just be regular guy, you know. 
And so she's always prayed. And we would pray for big things and such. But she like she want to pray like, let's pray, 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 pray. Don't tell her this, but she prays way too long, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, like, I could pray for every one of you at every campus by name before she's just warmed up telling God how much she loves them, okay? And we're like on and on and on and on and on, okay? And so I knew it was right. I knew it was right. I mean, what, what, what Christian couple would not want to daily pray for their children together, to pray for the blessings of God on the church, to pray for people that don't know Christ. Well, who, who would not want? And I, I just, just didn't do it. Why? Because it that made me a little uncomfortable. It just, just took so long, and I just, so I just didn't do it. Some of you right now, there will be something in your life where you know you're supposed to do it. God's called you to do it. And like me... Now notice, the thing that you're supposed to do apparently is something that God has called you to by talking directly to your heart. What about the Ten Commandments, though? I mean, if you're going to preach the law, then do it right, because apparently now it's, you know, this is about letting God down regarding something he laid on your heart. But Craig isn't actually dealing with the weightier matters that in which we all, we all let God down daily, and that is sinning against his holy law. And, you know, starting with idolatry, you know, having no other gods before him, you know, taking God's name in vain, not honoring our parents, you know, lying, stealing, committing adultery, coveting, you know, all the things in the Ten Commandments. You've heard of these things? So you'll notice here that this is, I mean, this is like watered down, you know, this isn't even law. It's like watered down law flavored kind of message. Yeah, you, you've, you know, what is the thing that God has placed on your heart? Something very subjective, nothing actually tangible. So, I mean, I, yeah, wow. I mean, if you're going to preach the law, you need to preach it lawfully, and he's not even doing that. Taking the easy wrong when God says, hey, choose the hard right. The time is now. And I want to show you um, some verses that, to me, these are like haunting to imagine that things have changed so little from 500 years before Christ. This is what God says. And I guarantee you there are many of you here say, I feel exactly like this. God says to them, verse 6, You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Wow. Does that strike you like it does me? Let me give you the modern translation. Okay, modern translation. You're working your tail off, and you still don't feel like you have anything. You're pouring your life into some career, and it just feels empty and hollow. You have more than you've ever had before, and you still don't feel satisfied. You entertain yourself. Yeah, you can't do that with this text, because the, if you would just read more into Haggai, you would realize, as I, since I've read this out, that God specifically was punishing them for not rebuilding the temple. That's the reason they were experiencing these things. Oh, man. Yeah, no, he's not rightly handling this text at all, and he's not really doing good law gospel preaching at all. I and mean, this is bad law, 
and and it's because he's narcissistically looking for some kind of way to put himself into this text and read out some kind of life application that he, we're all supposed to apply. You go to games, you go to movies, you eat out, and yet there's still a longing for something more. Dr. Phil may look at you and say, now how's that working for you? Right? I mean, dead, dead serious. Dead serious, okay? Give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. Are you putting your house ahead of God's house? Is there, is there some unfinished business? God led you to do something and you did not do it. So verse 7 to 8, this is so, so cool to me. God is so loving and he's so good. So they're looking, we've got to build this temple. We don't feel good enough to do it. It's not going well. There's opposition. This is difficult. This is difficult. This is so hard. This is so hard. Watch how loving God is. This is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. He says it again. Then basically what he's going to do is he's going to break it down into three simple steps. Okay, build the temple. Here, here's what I want you to do. No, number one, go up into the mountains. Number two, bring down the timber. So watch what he's doing here. We've got three simple steps. This is the solution to whatever the subjective thing that God supposedly put on your heart that you're not doing thingy. And so what you need to do is you need to go up into the mountains, bring down the timber, and then build the house of God. That'll solve whatever it is that you're put, you, you know, God put on your heart that you've somehow put on the back burner. Man, this is not Christian discipleship. This is not even Christian sanctification. I don't know what this is. And number three, build my house. Let me, let me say it again in case you missed that. This is what God said to do. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, and build my house. I know that was overwhelming, and you probably didn't have time to take it in. So let, let me just say it again, okay? I want you to understand. This, this is how much I love you. I'm going to make it this. So this is a three-point application. Yeah. Go in the woods, cut down the timber, build the house. Right. Okay, you ready? Here's what I want you to do. Go up to the mountain. Bring down the timber. And build my house. Do I need to say it again? Because I will. I'm doing this all weekend long and I'm having fun whether you are or not. Okay? Go up to the mountain. Now, wait a minute. Going up to the mountain, that's kind of hard. That's like, have you seen that mountain? That's hard. Choose a hard ride over the easy wrong. Bring down the timber. Oh. <laughs> Going up the mountain, that's hard. <laughs> what on earth? No, that's hard again. Choose a hard ride over the easy wrong. Come down and build the temple. Step by step, God says. Step by step, God says. Step by step. Here's one, two, three. Here's a problem. So many of us are going, God, what about steps four, five, and six? I need the details. But who's going to pay for this? And how's it going to happen? And where are we going to go? And what's going to go on? And who's going to be there? And I mean, am I going to get a tax write-off for this? And I, I, you know. Yeah, by narcissistically reading yourself into the text and turning it into Aesop's fables, you totally missed the whole point yeah this he's absolutely twisting this text and everyone there thinks oh wow this is the word from the lord that i need i i gotta look inside of me okay let me hunt, hunt, hunt around inside of my heart hang on Ooh, there's some dark stuff in there 
Hang on, let me push that off to the side. Okay, there we go. All right, so apparently I found something I think God put on my heart years ago that I'm neglecting. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and then now what I got to do? Okay, I'm supposed to go up the mountain, cut down the wood, and and build a temple. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, again, this is not Christian sanctification. This is not, this is like a, like a silly, ridiculous application of this text even. I mean, I don't know what this is. You know, details, God, how much time is it going to take and how long do I have to do this and how is it going to work out? And am I going to get my name on the little temple? Because if I don't have my name on the temple, then I'm not going to feel good about it. I need steps four, five, and six. And God says, don't worry about steps four, five, and six. Just do one, two, and three. My word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. If his word is a lamp unto our feet, he may show us steps one, two, and three. And we won't see four, five, and six until we take one, two, and three. I, I think I'm preaching better than you're responding. You see, you, you, you have to do... Yeah, no, you're not preaching well at all. You've totally mangled this text and had, like, missed the whole point. What God showed you first before he reveals more to you. Sometimes you say, I want the details. God says, you can't handle the details. I'll give you what you need when you get there, but you need to take the first step. So what do you do? Well, go up to the mountain bring down the timber, start building my house, okay? Well, you know, I really want to get in better shape, but, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Okay, well, start eating healthy, get eight hours of sleep, and start exercising. Well, I, I, I want to get out of debt, but I don't even know where to start. Well, so getting in shape and getting out of debt, this is now the equivalent of rebuilding the temple of God in the time of the prophet Haggai and Zechariah. And that, I mean, that is just utterly narcissistically absurd. And notice here, this he's reinforcing, oh, you're supposed to get this direct revelation from God thingy. Uh, why is that important? Because, well... Craig Rochelle is one of these purpose-driven guys. He's one of the purveyors of the whole dream destiny thingy, purpose thingy doctrine that is not found anywhere in Scripture. And so he's reading the prophet Haggai through that narcissistic dream destiny purpose thingy doctrine, and as a result of it, the lens he's reading it through is utterly corrupting the text. Help from someone who knows what they're doing. Spend less than you earn and start paying down your debt. Well, my marriage isn't really very good, and I'm not quite sure what to do about it. I mean, I'm not sure what to do, God. What, what do I do about it, God? I know you want me to work on it. But, well, humble yourself. Apologize for what you've done wrong. And do what you used to do. Date, write love notes, buy flowers, kiss, blah, 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 do whatever, you know. <laughs> do what you used to do. What, 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 what do I do? Go up to the mountain bring down the temper, and build my house, step by step, step, step by step. You see, this is what it means to, to walk by the Spirit. That's what we're commanded to do as, as followers of Jesus. We want to walk by sight. I want to know. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit? How do you figure? Details. I want, I want, to, I want God to show me everything. God's not going to show you step four, five, and six. So walking by the Spirit is apparently, well, receiving uh, dream destiny thingy, purpose uh, thing that you're supposed to accomplish 
um, but you only get three steps. You go up the mountain, cut down the wood, and then build the house. Uh-huh. Four, five, and six you'll get later because you get, you're walking by the Spirit. This is nonsense. This is not at all what it means to walk by the Spirit. Until you take steps one, two, and three. So there's an unfinished assignment. What do I do? If you're taking notes, very simply, the way to get started is to quit talking and start doing. That's it. Just quit thinking about it, quit talking about it, and go up to the mountain today. Do something today. Do the next thing that God has showed you and do it today. Be faithful to God today. Be faithful to God. I live in North Dakota, in the eastern part of North Dakota. It is so flat here that you can watch your dog run away for two weeks. There's no mountain for me to go up to. What are you talking about? Today. And so this is what I did with Amy. I mean, this is it's embarrassing to say, I'm Pastor Craig. We look up to you, great man of God. And I don't want to pray every single day with my wife. So you know what? It's easy not to do that. It's easy just to say, hey, you know, I'm great in all these other ways, so you should be happy with me, right? I mean, you know, you know hey, look, you know, you got that. You know, how stupid is that, okay? It'd be easy. But you know what's right? It is right as a spiritual leader of my house to grab my wife's hands every single day and to go before God on behalf of our children, asking for his provision, his protection, that he draw their hearts near to him. It's right to pray for God's work in, in the lives of the people in our church. It's right to pray by name for people that we love that do not know Christ personally. It's right to pray for so many of you that we pray for daily who have who are hurting, who have burdens, whose marriages are in trouble, who, who got bad news from the, the, the doctors. And let me, let me tell you what happens is, is when, I, when I started doing the hard right over the easy wrong, oh, man, it's amazing what happened to our marriage. I mean, it was kind of like good before. Yeah, you know, he, he obviously is the perfect example of the guy who's, well, is doing the thing. He practices what he preaches. You know, he chose the hard right over the easy wrong long ago and doesn't let any of the things that God lays on his heart you know, become, you know, unfinished uh, projects. Again, this is not Christian sanctification. I don't know what this is. Or about, ooh, talk about good now, okay? Because it's really difficult to fight when you're praying together, right? It's really difficult to be self-centered when you're other-centered. It's really amazing how you spiritually bond, and when you spiritually, Spiritually bond, you emotionally bond, and when you emotionally bond, sometimes you physically bond a lot. And everybody said, "Don't miss it." You had an opportunity there; it was sitting there; it was there. It was yeah, two times in one sermon. We continue. There for you, if you are ready for it. Don't miss those opportunities. All right. And here's the deal. I had no idea what the blessings of God were on the other side of obedience. I had no idea how amazing. Yeah, now notice, apparently he's describing something that's sinful. And the simple solution is just obey. Law, law preaching and bad law preaching. This isn't even biblical law. Bad law preaching. And the solution is, well, law, just obey. Yeah, that's not even Christian sanctification. No, it's repent, 
be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You preach law and gospel. Yes, you've fallen short. Yes, you've committed the sin of idolatry. You've disobeyed a clear command of God. And I'm going to point to the written word of God, not something subjective and nebulous that he's supposed to have put on your heart. And you need to repent. Confess that what you've done is sinful and wrong. Agree with what God says about you. And then be forgiven. Christ has bled and died for these sins. So here, uh, Craig Rochelle, by not preaching Christ and not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins, reading himself into this text is robbing all the glory from Christ. And notice, he's the one bragging now. <laughs> Listen, I had, uh, yeah, I got to tell you all about the blessings of God on the other side of obedience because of, you know, I'm obeying God. <laughs> Again, really narcissistic and not true at all. If we were to examine his life in light of the Ten Commandments, how do you think he'd measure up? We continue. Blessings of God would be on the other side of obedience. And ultimately, you do what God calls you to do. So you're supposed to reach out to someone that, that, that hurts you. What God calls you to do. Obedience is subjective now. It's not according to any objective standard in Scripture. It's just subjectively whatever God is calling you to do. This is demonic. Okay. Well, what if they don't respond well? Listen, you're not, responsibility for, you're not responsible for the outcome. You're just responsible for the obedience. That's it. You just do what God called you to do. You, you are not responsible for the outcome. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. So what is it? Let's call it what it is. We all have something like this. Maybe it, you've, got a, you've got a sin that has been plaguing you and plaguing you, and you're keeping it a secret. It's easy to keep it a secret. It's hard and right to confess and ask for help. Maybe you're playing fake happy marriage. And How about confess and be forgiven and absolved? Christ died for these sins, you know. You got everybody around you fooled, and you're not there. And it's easy to do that. It's easy to lie. It's hard and right to say, you know what? We really need help. We really need counseling. Maybe God prompted you at some point to, you know, serve in the church. Like, I, really, I, I should make a difference. And you're like, is that, is that God or is that Satan tempting me to serve? <laughs> you know, get behind me, Satan. Don't, make, don't use me to make a difference, okay? Of course that's God, okay? So what are you going to do? Yeah. Choose the hard right and go, go, don't leave the building today without saying, sign me up. Some of you, you know you need Christian community. You need it. You need it. You need it. You will not do well alone. And you kind of thought about, thought about, thought about, oh, your life group, no, 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 God leading me to be in a life group. Of course, it's God leading you to be in an Acts 2 fellowship because life is better together when we celebrate around God's Word. So if there's some unfinished assignment, don't make God raise up a Haggai in your life to call you back. And don't make God say, don't make God raise up a Haggai in your life. Oh, man. That person... <laughs> Because you're his child. My child is going to be obedient. The time is now. The time is now. The time is now. So whenever God gives us an assignment, we're going to be obedient. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. So we're going to choose the hard right. Yeah, the problem is we're not obedient. This is the reason why we need a crucified and risen Savior. He doesn't even understand what Romans teaches regarding the purpose of the law is to show us our sin. 
and our need for a Savior. Oy, oy, oy. Over the easy wrong, and maybe God's going to speak to some of you today and tell you, time is now. The time is now. Father, we thank you. Done. Wow, that was painful and awful. And the reason it was is because, well, he thinks it's all about life application. That wasn't Christian sanctification. And he was reinforcing this idea God's supposed to lay something on your heart. And the solution, you know, to if you're disobeying God is, you know, just get to get busy and obey. You know, go up the mountain, you know, chop down the wood and build the temple kind of thing. You don't need a crucified and risen Savior for this at all. And yet, when you truly do disobey God, yeah, you really do need a crucified and risen Savior because just one sin is what plunged all of us into this mess in the first place. And how many sins have we all committed that Christ has literally bled and died for? So the Christian call is for us to repent and to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. But that's not what we heard from Craig Rochelle. Some mention of Jesus, you know, hey, you know, you know you're sinning, though, you know, you, know, you need to repent and, you know, and, and get some help. Yeah, that's never the solution for our sin. What an utter train wreck. All because, yeah, he started with his purpose-driven theology, and he's imposing it on this text, and thinks, along with all the other purpose-driven vision-casting leaders, ultimately it's all about, you know, you. And it's not really about Jesus and what he's done for you. And they're completely oblivious to that fact. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carry death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.